You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans from the West Coast. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Tuesday, November 2nd. And it's just going to be another one-man show again today. Very brief, going to spend about 20 minutes having a look back at Ohio State's gritty, hard-fought, much more competitive than we all expected 33-24 to win over Penn State. Thought I'd also spend a couple of minutes talking about Michigan State's big comeback win over Michigan in East Lansing. Finally, I'm going to take my best crack at the top six in the very first playoff college football playoff rankings which will be announced later tonight on ESPN, I believe. Let's talk about Penn State. Now, on our midseason recap pod, I said Penn State was the opponent on our remaining schedule that had me the most concerned because I thought they were the most talented team left on Ohio State's schedule. And of course, James Franklin's teams always take us down to the wire. And I and I know I've expressed that. That is not an original thought. You guys have hear, you've been hearing me say that for several years now. But I hedged on that after Penn State's inexplicable loss in nine frames of overtime to lowly Illinois at home coming off a bye the week before. And, you know, I, I really should have known better. I, I called for an Ohio State blowout in our prediction pod this past week. I should have known better. And, and actually, I'm going to give full credit to Paige for calling a closer than expected outcome. Although I, I told PBH yesterday, I'm not even sure that even he expected Penn State to be that competitive. And, and PBH agreed that uh, he didn't think the game would be quite that competitive. So now, you know, the question I keep asking myself, and I think I might have an answer to it now after much deliberation, about 48 hours of really thinking it through. The question is, was this a good win for Ohio State? Now, most of the national analysts have not been impressed. We're not impressed with what they saw on Saturday night. But I tend not to completely trust all of those views. Now, in the moment and shortly after the game, I was I was certainly disappointed. And anybody that's on the South Stands text thread will tell you uh, I was I was blowing everybody up with uh, with expletives and and texts of frustrations about how Ohio State, uh, you know, how, about how things were going in that game. I, I really thought, you know, last week, Penn State seemed primed for a blowout loss, certainly after losing to Illinois. But then you had that weird press conference that James Franklin held earlier in the week where he looked very distracted and he twice uh, made reference to Ohio State as Illinois and he called Ohio Stadium the big house. So, you know, now I'm wondering, looking back at it, was, you know, were those just theatrics by Franklin who was attempting to lull us all to sleep? Maybe they were. And uh, if they were, they worked. Because I think a lot of us, including the folks in the desert, had Ohio State winning this one big. The line moved on game day to, I think, from 18 and a half to 19 and a half. So certainly Vegas didn't think Penn State had much of a chance in this game. I certainly didn't. Many of us who follow Ohio State pretty closely, thought the Buckeyes would roll in this game. 
And they did not. Uh, Penn State came out. They scored on their opening drive, or sorry, their second drive of the game. They fumbled. Ohio State and Penn State, they exchanged fumbles on their opening drives. But Penn State would draw blood first. They scored a touchdown on their second drive to take a 7-0 lead and really, really took it, especially on the defensive side, took it to the Ohio State offense. They were tough. They were nasty. And uh, and seemed to be uh, seemed to really know Ohio State's playbook. I think C.J. Stroud said in the post game that Penn State had the Penn State defense was calling out some of their plays, so they were ready for Ohio State both emotionally, schematically, and and you know again I was disappointed because for me Penn State really seemed to feed off the energy of the crowd. They were energized by the the environment much more so than Ohio State or so it appeared. And they played like it to open the game. And Ohio State found themselves right away in a, in a fist fight. So, you know, kind of going back to that question, was this a good win for Ohio State? You know, watching that game and, and then re-watching it over the last couple of days, I've, I've re-watched it a couple of times you know, my eyes tell me that Penn State has a lot of good players. And and if you did not know, if you did not know rankings, if you did not know records, and all you had to go on with what is what you were seeing on the field, I saw two pretty evenly matched teams, certainly when Ohio State's offense was lining up against that Penn State defense. But I saw two teams, I, you know, I saw a Penn State team that uh, you know, was quite capable of competing with Ohio State with some of the athletes that I saw out there. In particular, the back seven of their defense, their safety Brisker and those two corners, Porter Jr. and Castro Fields, are really, really, really good. Brisker, uh, he really impressed me on one play. It was actually the big Travion Henderson 68-yard run. It was Brisker who ran from across the other side of the field to run Henderson down and stop him at the two-yard line. Penn State nearly got the stop. Took Ohio State, I think, on third down. They weren't able to punch it in until third down. And we'll get into Ohio State's red zone issues in this game. Penn State, I give them credit. They were great defending Ohio State in the red zone. Buckeyes only able to convert one touchdown in six visits to the Penn State red zone. And I think you got to give Penn State, that, that defense, a heck of a lot of credit. Though I did think it was notable in the champion grades that were released by the Ohio State coaching staff yesterday, there was only one offensive player that graded out as a champion, and that was Jackson Smith and Jigba. So nobody on the offensive line, none of the other receivers, no C.J. Stroud, just one player in Jackson Smith and Jigba that graded out as champion. So I think that tells you quite a lot about how the coaching staff felt about Ohio State's offensive performance in this game. But I, I tell you what, my eyes told me I was watching a really, really good football team in Penn State. So I started to feel a little bit better about this result for Ohio State. Now, the other thing is, I didn't really give Sean Clifford his due credit on our prediction pod last week. And, and Clifford's a quarterback I've been pretty lukewarm on throughout his career at Penn State. But I tell you what, that team, that Penn State team is, is a completely different team when Clifford is healthy. And he's having by far his best season at Penn State. His 65% completion percentage is a career high. He's on pace to throw for more yards this season than he did in his previous two seasons at Penn State as a starter. He's going to blow way past the 2,654 yards he threw in 2019 when Penn State went 11-2 and and I believe won the Cotton Bowl that season. And on Saturday night against an Ohio State front that was bringing a lot of pressure, he made some big-time throws with pressure right in his face 
And I, I was very impressed with how Clifford played. Now, you got to give Ohio State some credit, and this is also part of Clifford's MO. They forced him into two pretty catastrophic turnovers that really were the difference in the game. But I tell you what, if the Penn State defense and Sean Clifford continue to play like that, the way they did on Saturday night, would anybody be surprised if they went out? I certainly wouldn't. I mean, I know they have Michigan. I believe that game's in Happy Valley. And then, uh, you know, a visit to East Lansing to play Michigan State. I know they still have those two opponents left on their schedule. But that Penn State team I watched on Saturday, I think can beat both Michigan and Michigan State. And by the way, I know what I'm doing here. I know what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm among the worst of Ohio State fans at doing this. The Buckeyes have a disappointing outcome. They still win, but in disappointing fashion. And then what do I end up doing the entire week after until Ohio State plays again is I turd polish the outcome. I turd polish the result, right? And I kind of talk up the opponent. Hey, you know, maybe they were better than we all thought and they're better than their record. So I understand that's that it seems like what I'm doing, but I, but I think what I'm telling you about Penn State here is real. The other thing is you have to you have to look at their record prior, how they played prior to the Sean Clifford injury, and that was really the turning point in Penn State season. Both Clifford's injury and now his return to health, because he, to me he looked pretty healthy against Ohio State. Two turning points in Ohio State, in, pardon me, in Penn State season. But if you look at how Penn State played before Clifford went down. They opened with a road win at Wisconsin that is now suddenly looking like a very nice win for them because you've got Wisconsin playing very well the last two weeks, blowing out both Purdue and Iowa, and now looking very much like a contender to come out of the West. In fact, I would I would, I would, would make Wisconsin the favorite to come out of the West. You know, I said it in last week's pod, the more things change, the more they stay the same in the Big Ten West. Here's Wisconsin again. It looks like they could very well come out of that division. Uh, after a really, really rocky start. Anyway, I digress. Penn State, that win in Madison against Wisconsin, now suddenly looking like a very nice win. Sean Clifford played very well for them in that game. And then they, they a couple weeks later, they beat a very good Auburn team who is now ranked number 12 in the AP poll. Penn State has two very nice wins to their credit. And they played, they gave Ohio State everything they could handle on the road in Columbus, I look at kind of the total package, a really, really good defense, a, a very, very good quarterback, and Sean Clifford when he's healthy, and some playmakers on the outside. They can do some things throwing the football, and they're, they're not great running the football, but everything else, that was a good Penn State team Ohio State beat. And I know we're talking about a team that's lost their last three, but I, you know, after really thinking about it, rewatching the game, I, I think that was a good win for Ohio State. And... I'm really looking forward to seeing how the playoff committee in tonight's first rankings treats Penn State. I do think it's notable that Penn State did remain in the top 25 in both the AP and coaches poll. They only dropped two spots from 20 to 22 in the AP poll. And between those two polls, that's the one that I think, you know, has any kind of legitimacy. So that told me something. I think the voters respect Penn State and their talent. I want to tell you what I really liked out of the performance against Penn State. First of all, C.J. Stroud. Now, I know he didn't grade out as a champion. 305 yards passing, no turnovers. Now, I know he missed Chris Olave and what should have been an easy touchdown on fourth down in the red zone. That you know that clearly was, was a miss on Stroud's part. But overall, I loved his numbers. 22 of 34, 305 yards. He did throw one touchdown on a gorgeous throw to Chris Olave. He did exactly what he needed to do on that play. He was under pressure on that play, was unfazed by it. 
he stepped up in the pocket and delivered a beautiful strike in stride to Chris Olave for Ohio State's first touchdown. That was beautiful. Stroud had another amazing throw, I think, to uh, Jeremy Ruckert that went for about 30 yards. This was on Ohio State's final scoring drive of the game. It led to really the game-sealing field goal. He hit Ruckert on a beautiful play over the middle for about 30 yards that got Ohio State into into uh, field ultimately into field goal range to to put that game away. So I really liked what I saw to Stroud. I am very, very comfortable with the ball in his hands in big moments. He, not a lot of mistakes. He was not sacked. Now, you know, the offensive line did not have a great game. They were not good in in opening up holes for Trevion Henderson. They did not respond well to what Penn State was doing up front. A lot of pre-snap movement by Penn State that the offensive line did not handle very well. But they did manage to keep C.J. Stroud uh, from being sacked. And against a, a very good Penn State defense, I think that's saying something. He was not sacked. Stroud's only been sacked five times now in seven games, uh, in seven starts. Uh, so I, I, I think you do give the offensive line a little bit of credit there. And you also give Stroud some some credit for, and I think he's he's very underrated in this. He does a good job evading pressure in the pocket. He, he is very mobile within the pocket. Travion Henderson, another performance that I really, really liked out of Penn State or out of the Penn State game. Now, Henderson had a rough go of it there for about two and a half quarters. Penn State, clearly, they were crowding the box. They were not going to let Henderson beat him. But in the second half, Henderson came alive. Now, he finished 28 carries, 152 yards. I think it would have been very easy for a true freshman to get frustrated by how that game was playing out and end up just having a lousy night, getting in his own head, getting frustrated. That didn't happen. He stuck with it. And, uh, you know, gave Ohio State 28 carries, 152 tough yards. He had that explosive 68-yard run that helped Ohio State, you know, build a little cushion there. I believe that put Ohio State up, ultimately put Ohio State up 27-17. And Henderson had another big run of 20-yarder, I believe, on Ohio State's last scoring drive of the game to to get them uh, in position to to kick a field goal there to, to seal the game. It might not have been the 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 last field goal drive. It might've been the one before that. In any case, it was another big run that set up points for Ohio State. So this was, in my you know my opinion, I think this was Henderson's first real introduction to Big Ten football. And he responded to his credit, even though things were not going his way early on. I tell you what, it's really hard to believe that both Stroud and Henderson are as young as they are. Henderson, only a true freshman. They both play with the maturity of seniors and they did against Penn State, and they delivered some big-time plays for Ohio State when they really, really needed them. Another part of the Ohio State performance that I really, really like, Jackson Smith and Jigba, six catches for 97 yards. I mentioned earlier he was Ohio State's only offensive player to grade out as champion. His 97 yards receiving in that game now makes him second on the team in receiving yards with 648 behind Garrett Wilson, and he's now tied with Chris Olave for second on the team in receptions at 35 He's also, this is pretty notable, averaging two and a half more yards per reception than both Wilson and Olave. Smith and Jigba, another young player, only a true sophomore, plays with uncanny maturity. And uh, you have to absolutely love what you're seeing on a Smith and Jigba if you're an Ohio State fan. Tyreek Smith, another performance against Penn State that was absolutely huge. He was a beast. His hits on Sean Clifford led to the scoop and score by Jerron Cage and Cam Brown's interception. Now, those plays led directly to 10 Ohio State points. 
in a nine-point Ohio State win. I'd say those plays were pretty huge. And when Smith is healthy, he's a huge difference maker for this team, as we saw late last season against Northwestern and and Clemson in the in the postseason. And then, of course, it, he was he was notable in his absence against Alabama in the national championship game. Ohio State might have might have been a different outcome if. Smith could have played in that game, or, or certainly an outcome we might have been, we might have felt a little bit better about. In any case, we really, really have to hope as Ohio State fans that Tyreek Smith can stay healthy because that's really been the the only reason we we've he's not been able to deliver on expectations as a five star recruit out of Cleveland, Ohio. Now, overall, I liked what I saw from the Ohio State defense. Now, I, it was frustrating to watch Sean Clifford continue to find openings in that Ohio State zone for chunk plays over the middle. And it was frustrating to watch Penn State convert 11 of 16 on third down. But overall, I, I there are things to really, really like about this Ohio State defense, which now ranks number one in the country in defensive touchdowns. Jerron Cage's scoop and score on Saturday night for the touchdown. That was Ohio State's sixth defensive touchdown of the season. They're number seventh now nationally in sacks. They're averaging almost three and a half sacks per game. Do you remember earlier in the year when we were all wondering where this, where the pressure was from the Ohio State defensive line? Well, now they're now we're getting it. We're, we're seeing a consistent pressure from that defensive line, and they really ratcheted it up in the second half of that game against Sean Clifford. Clifford had a good game, give him credit, but that defensive front really gave, uh, really forced him into some big time mistakes that were the difference in the game. So seventh nationally in sacks, that Ohio State defense, they're 14th nationally in interceptions. By the way, that is tied with Georgia. 16th nationally against the run. They're 17th nationally in tackles for loss, averaging over seven a game. Hey, I thought we were looking at another you know, historically bad Ohio State defense when the season began. We're now starting to see a defense grow and develop into a unit that can generate a lot of explosive plays, a lot of difference-making plays. And I, I think you're going to need that. Now, we're headed into November here. This is the final stretch toward the postseason. We know none of these final four games is going to be easy starting at Nebraska this coming Saturday. you got a, a Purdue team that can do some things coming to the shoe the following week. And then, of course, they end with the Michigan State-Michigan gauntlet. Uh, I tell you what, though, you've got a defense that can create turnovers and get after the quarterback and get it in the backfield. You combine that with an offense that's explosive and can score and move the ball in many different ways. I think I'm looking at an Ohio State team that is is starting to peak and starting to show us some things here when, uh, you know, when the stakes are the highest. It will be interesting, though, to see if our red zone issues on offense were just a blip against a Penn State defense that came into the game third nationally in red zone defense. By the way, Ohio State came into the game third nationally in red zone offense. So it'll be interesting to see, was that just a blip? Or if those issues continue, no doubt the rest of Ohio State's opponents will attempt to duplicate what Penn State did in the red zone. Now, at this stage, I'm inclined to credit a, a really good Penn State defense that was really exceptional on Saturday night in the red zone then worry uh, you know, about a trend here for Ohio State. But it is something to keep an eye on. So, of course, there was another huge game in the Big Ten earlier in the day. That was over on Fox. That was part of their big noon kick, which was Ohio, or pardon me, Michigan State's 37-33 comeback win over Michigan in East Lansing. This was a really, really entertaining football game. 
I pick Michigan in this game. And for about two and a half, three quarters, Michigan dominated. And if you look at the stat line, they really dominated and total yards outgaining Michigan State 552 to 395. The Michigan defense held the Michigan State offense to four of 13 on third downs. Michigan held almost a 10 minute advantage in time of possession. And, you know, Michigan State, pardon me, Michigan held a 16 point lead late in the third quarter and seemed well on their way to a convincing win over Michigan State and give Michigan State credit. They continue to fight and they took advantage of some late Michigan turnovers, uh, namely one by J.J. McCarthy that allowed them to score the go-ahead touchdown. But, you know, look, the story of the game was Kenneth Walker III, Michigan State's star tailback. Walker III finished with 197 yards on 23 carries, five touchdowns. He was magnificent. He probably punched his ticket to New York as a Heisman finalist in this game. I was very impressed with with Kenneth Walker III. Not a great game out of Peyton Thorne, Michigan State's quarterback. Only 196 yards passing. He threw two picks, did not throw a a touchdown. And, uh, you know, also looking at Michigan State's pass defense in this game. Now you're looking at, we're talking about a Michigan State program that right now ranks 127th in pass defense. They're somewhere in the 100s in total defense. This defense could not be confused with one of Mark D'Antonio's defenses when he was coaching there. And they are highly vulnerable on the back end uh, against the pass. Cade McNamara, who's been a pedestrian, I think at best for Michigan, you know, a consummate game manager, not spectacular. He looked like John Elway on Saturday, finishing 28 of 44 for 383 yards, two touchdowns. He did have a fatal uh, mistake, though, at the end of that game, throwing the game-sealing interception. But otherwise, McNamara really picked apart uh, a very porous Michigan State pass defense. Uh, Credit Michigan State for, you know, limiting the Michigan rushing attack, which, again, I still don't know how good the Michigan rushing attack is. Haskins and Corum, they get a lot of props get a lot of accolades as, you know, this devastating one-two punch in the Michigan running game. I'm still not sure how good they actually are, but Michigan State contained them. 146 total yards on the ground for Michigan, on but on 34 carries, 4.3 yards per carry. But still, look, hey, bottom line is Michigan should have won this game. Harbaugh, again, in a rivalry game, in a matchup with a top 10 team, cannot get it done with a 16-point third-quarter lead. That was my big takeaway. For me, it was more about Jim Harbaugh failing to live up to expectations here, failing to finally get a signature win. That, to me, was my big takeaway. And and I still wonder just how good Michigan State is. One thing that was notable from that game, Jalen Naylor, their best wide receiver, was on the sideline with a cast on his hand. Now, Naylor had, up to that point, had four receptions for 75 yards. He had a 40-yard reception. Uh, that's not a great sign. You got a wide receiver with a cast on his hand. Uh, you know, one wonders about his availability for the remainder of the season. If he's not available, I, I don't know. I think you're looking at a pretty one-dimensional Michigan State offense with Kenneth Walker III and a defense that is really, really vulnerable on the back end. We get Michigan State, Ohio State does in the shoe. You know, I like that matchup for us. Our, our, you know, my good buddy, uh, PVH, he thinks Michigan State is the toughest remaining opponent for Ohio State. He, he's, he's much more worried about that game than 
than any of the others left on their schedule. He might turn out to be right about that. But for me, I don't know. I think Ohio State could be a very bad matchup for Michigan State because we're talking about an Ohio State run defense that is now looking very good, uh, much improved since the beginning of the season. And then a lethal Ohio State passing attack going up against one of the worst pass defenses in the country. Uh, and, and you know, I, I always complain about the lack of a home field advantage for Ohio State in the shoe, but that game is played in the shoe. I like Ohio State in that one, uh, but we'll see. I'm getting ahead of myself. Still a couple more games for Ohio State to get through before they would face Michigan State. So that's my view of, of Michigan State and Michigan. Now, I think Michigan State's probably going to, you know, they'll land in the top four in, in this evening's playoff rankings. I'll get to my projections there in a second. But I'm still not sure just how, how good they actually are. And and Michigan, again, what can you say? Jim Harbaugh disappoints in another big game. And, you know, the question has to be, like, what is his signature moment? What has Jim Harbaugh done that's memorable as the head coach at Michigan other than some really heartbreaking losses. All right. I've been yammering on here for about 30 minutes. So let me wrap things up here by giving you my best guess at the top six in the very first college football playoff rankings, which will be released tonight. So here we go. Number one, Georgia. I don't think anybody's going to argue that. They're they're a no-brainer at number one. Number two, I know I've just said, I don't know how good Michigan State actually is. They have some big time flaws from my point of view, but I think the committee puts them at number two. Number three, Oklahoma. And what you have there at number one through three, Georgia, Michigan State, Oklahoma, are what I predict will be, in the eyes of the committee, the top three undefeated teams left out there. Georgia, Michigan State, Oklahoma, in that order, one through three. At number four, I think the committee is going to reward Oregon for what is the best win of the college football season so far, going on the road, beating the Buckeyes without their best player, Kayvon Thibodeau. I think the committee puts Oregon in there at number four. Number five, Alabama. You know, Like me, I think the committee is going to give Nick Saban the benefit of the doubt. Alabama has one loss to a quality Texas A&M team on the road. It's Nick Saban. It's an Alabama program that's won three titles in the playoff era. I think they get the benefit of the doubt and land just outside the top four. They're the first team out at number five. Finally, I got Ohio State at number six. I think Ohio State you know, has shown, you know, taken huge strides defensively. Uh, nobody's going to argue with the talent on that roster and what they can do offensively. And they, I think the committee is going to look favorably on the result from Saturday night. I think they're going to recognize Penn State as a legitimately good team. And I think Penn State will land in the committee's top 25. My guess, somewhere around 20 would be my guess. Ohio State gets credit for that win, but still one of the the, the two teams out at number six, uh, just on the outside looking in. But of course, clearly with an opportunity to move into the the top four with uh, you know with some big big games on the horizon, especially you know with Michigan State. So that's my top six: Georgia, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Alabama, Ohio State. In that order. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. I'm going to try and wrangle the boys, PVH and Chad, a little later this week for a preview of the Nebraska game. That game's played in Lincoln. It's going to be a noon Eastern kick, if I'm not mistaken. Right now, Ohio State only a 15-point favorite in that game. 
You've been listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.